You're listening to Vox Talk, the voiceover industry's number one podcast, brought to you by Voices.com. It's about voice acting, growing your business, and sharing your knowledge. Vox Talk is a show that you can be a part of. Getting involved is both fun and rewarding. It's time for this week's episode of Vox Talk with your host, Stephanie Cicerelli. Hi there, and welcome to Vox Talk. This week we'll hear news from Voice 2014 about Latin American voiceovers and the ballooning business of translation and localization. David Cicerelli from Voices.com interviews Richard Carroll of Keylingo, a translation firm. The Loop, informing you of news and current voiceover events. Did you go to Voice 2014? The industry's largest voiceover conference took place in Anaheim last week. Actor Fred Malamed from In a World was the guest of honor at the Celebrity Banquet. Voice actress Joan Baker was the recipient of the prestigious Community Award, joining the ranks of past recipients including Zurich, John Florian and Bob Bergen. To see photos from the four-day conference and festivities, go to Voices.com's Facebook page. Have you noticed the buzz around Latin American voiceover talent? From the efforts of Simon Fogiel to engage the English-speaking voiceover world to Natan Fisher's presentation at Voice on the Latin American Spanish market, there's certainly a lot going on. And speaking of Spanish, do you know just how important translation is? Thanks to the 2008-2009 recession, companies are being forced to globalize more than ever before. This means reaching out to markets around the world and adapting themselves to the local language, customs, culture, and tone. Are you getting all the work that you can as a voiceover artist? If not, localization could be the answer. The Biz, helping you grow your voiceover business. David Cicerelli was in studio with Richard Carroll of Keylingo. Here's what they had to say about localization. All right, well, I'm here with Richard Carroll of Keylingo. And Richard, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Hi, David. Glad to be here. Well, Richard, you were just, uh, for those uh, just kind of joining us on the podcast, um, Richard's uh, come from Toronto, uh, from an organization called Keylingo, which we've been working with a lot lately. And um, we're looking at kind of formalizing uh, our work together in terms of a partnership. And really, today's session was to introduce um, you and your company with the, the team here at Voices. And we figured, hey, what a great opportunity um, to loop you in on the podcast and uh, maybe share some of that information as well, too. So I guess just to get things going off the top, I'd love to um, you know, tell our listeners out there, uh, tell us a little bit more about Keylingo. Um, and you know, give us kind of your thirty-second elevator pitch. Sure, thanks. Appreciate the intro. Mm-hmm. So, so Keylingo is a global B two B language services company. Yeah. So essentially, we we help companies communicate effectively wherever they do business, and mm-hmm. that, whether that be digital content for the web, marketing collateral, legal documentation, scientific or manufacturing manuals. Uh, we help businesses. Everywhere do business anywhere. Yeah, and um, that's certainly something a trend that we're seeing, which is. Um, digital content uh, and all forms of digital media being uh, translated into other languages and then being voiced over, which has kind of prompted uh, us to, to start working with you in the first place. So um, sounds like we're on the same page there. But I'm curious, you know, how did you get into the translation business? Did you did you grow up with a fascination of other languages or 
um, traveled the world when you were, you know, you were younger out of, uh, out of school. How did you get into the business? Yeah, great question. I've done a lot of traveling, but no, didn't grow uh, up in a multilingual family okay. at all. Uh, I speak one language, which often surprises a lot of people. Right. I find that uh, it's actually an advantage because most of my clients speak one language as well. Mm. So I can really appreciate uh, the frustration they're going through and alleviate those concerns. And so I got into it. I'm actually an entrepreneur at heart. I've run a few businesses, and I came across Keylingo several years ago, and I saw a very fragmented market. A lot of people don't realize uh, there are almost 30,000 language providers around the world. So it's such a fragmented marketplace. And you can go right from mom and pop operators all the way up to $100 million plus uh, companies. Mm And so I noticed the through my research that the industry is growing steadily at 15% per year. Yeah. And I saw a great opportunity for Keylingo's business model of local presence, uh, rapid you know, customer service response rate, high quality translations, and all supported by computer-assisted translation tools. Yeah. And I and that was one thing that uh, th- that I like what you said earlier in the the training session was that um, your services, while they're computer-assisted, they're human-processed. So there's always people behind the scenes that are um, that are conducting those translations. We'll talk about the process in a second, but why is it that companies, I guess, first come to consider that they need translation services in the first place? Are they? Or is it because they're expanding into another market, or they're trying to just better service their market kind of domestically? And you know, example uh, is is Toronto being such a multilingual cultural uh, culture in and of itself, or you know, f- uh, fifty million is uh, you know uh, people in in uh, the states are you know Spanish is their you know first language. So, w- what why are companies coming and identify the need for translation services in the first place? I think there's a few reasons. You know, one sometimes it's it's a force because here in Canada. Uh, there's a recognition or a need uh, to have French Canadian in the states. The equivalent would be the Spanish U.S. Right. marketplace. With I think you mentioned the Hispanics, 50 million population uh, there. And but uh, so a lot of times it starts there. Mm-hmm. I think also there's uh, been an economy squeeze uh, in Canada and the states where it was easy just to do business with your neighbor. But when times got really tough, as we saw in the 2008-9 recession, mm-hmm. companies had to get a lot smarter and not just rely on the next-door neighbor of, of Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And they had a great product to sell. And the easiest way to do that is just to localize the language into their target markets. Right. Rather than inventing a brand-new product line, selling our existing product line, but in a new geographical market. Absolutely. So it's a great return on investment for them. Um, now, there must be you know a variety of types of projects. I mean, are they, are they, are they product-centric, or are they... Um, training videos, what kind of translation work are you doing now? We have seen translation work from all verticals Mm -hmm. and all uh, subject matters, from e-learning, because you have these companies that are worldwide and they want to have a consistent message, so their voice-over services and their their, uh, materials need to be localized in all the languages and markets they service. So I've seen a lot of that. We've also seen a lot of uh, manufacturing equipment that's being exported uh, overseas. So the machine that ends up in Germany, there needs to be a user manual that goes with it, an administration package that goes with it, plus the website needs to be multilingual as well, the marketing materials that goes with it, trade shows, press releases, and the the list is endless. Mm -hmm. No, that's amazing. I mean, 
Um, so often we're kind of caught up thinking just about the audio component of it, but obviously the, the written word is so much more uh, broad, so I can uh, really appreciate the, the scope of the opportunity there. Um, now, given kind of the, the variety in, uh, in the work, um, you've probably, in order to kind of scale up and service all of those types of clients and those projects, you've probably really honed in on that process, right? It's a, a repeatable way to kind of complete these projects. Um, and so in order to kind of deliver that high quality of service, uh, what, what's your process that you've uh, really got buttoned down? Well, so great question, because a lot of people don't realize there is a, a really in-depth process behind the scenes of a translation project for at least good quality translation mm -hmm. work. And so our process begins with our ISO certified operations hub. Yeah. And so for clients you know, to, to begin and uh, launch a translation project, uh, it all begins with their source document. And so where, where is this content living originally? And so we have them send that over. And then basically from there, we, we analyze it with computer-assisted uh, translation tools. Yep. Um, so there's a number of them on the marketplace. And so it, it allows us to drill through the content to figure out how many of those words are new words, how many of those words are what's called a fuzzy match or repetitive. The benefit to the client is, is the technology will tell us, first off, the word count, and that's how we analyze and figure out our, our price point for the client because we're very transparent. The number of words that are there, then we know exactly uh, what the rate will be for the client. So a project the size of 100 words is different from a project the size of 1,000 words. Of course. Quite, quite simple. And so, but the benefit is when the technology gets in place is you have a, a thousand word document, but perhaps uh, there's a sentence that's repeated 10 times. Well, we don't need to retranslate that 10 times. The, right. the technology will tell us, hey, we just have to translate it once and then repeat it 10 times. The teams, these are all human professional translators, mm -hmm. will check for context to make sure that that uh, sentence is correct throughout the, uh, throughout the document. So from there, depending on the complexity of the file, you could have software engineers that need to pull the files out of these digital formats that are, that are, that are taking over uh, so much of the uh, uh, content uh, housing these days. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to our team, and we follow a, a we call a TEP uh, protocol, which is you've got this translator, then you've got an editor, and then you get a proofreader. So you have a minimum of three sets of eyes. Yeah. Um, these are native-speaking professional translators, and it ensures the quality is, is very, very high. And then from there, perhaps there's a, if it's a brochure, for example, um, there needs to be desktop publishing. And so say the language is going from English into Arabic. And a lot of times the English graphics team, they have no idea where they should place that Arabic content right. on the page. And our Arabic uh, desktop publishing team knows exactly where it should go on that. And so we'll localize it so it makes sense for that local audience. From there, you know, our project managers, they clean up the files. They say there's a project that was uh, sent out by the client. It goes into 12 languages. They don't want to receive 12 deliverables. They want to receive it in one batch. So our project manager will pull together all those files and deliver it once in one clean package for yeah. the client. We update the, uh, the transition memory file, and the, uh, we send the, uh, the file back to the client. And so sometimes the client will have preferential changes where they might want to change the word, I'll, I'll use English words here, but they want to change the word um, excited to exuberant. 
and our team will, will change that. Um, so we'll capture that, we'll update the transition memory file, and that's exactly what it is, because we're humans and we tend to forget things, but computers will, will keep a database of the preferred terms. Right. And so the next time the client will send us a documentation, we can keep things very consistent, and if there's uh, repeatable content, it's identified. If there's any fuzzy matches, and I mentioned that earlier, but fuzzy match, I'm looking at your door here, it's brown door. Mm-hmm. But if the brown door is, is mentioned 10 times, but it says the, brown, the door is brown, the door is brown, but then it also says the door is white, that's very, very close, but not identical, and that's mm-hmm. called a fuzzy match. Okay. And so for, the benefit to the client is, is those are discounted uh, deeply. Right. Makes sense. Um, and you talk about kind of the the corporate voice as well, too, where there's certain languages, you know, you're updating this kind of database or this glossary of terms. Um, and part of that glossary uh, is going to um, be the shape of that corporate voice. And we talk about, um, you gave this a great example about popcorn. Can hmm. you just share a quick story there? Yeah, so the slide I shared in our, our group meeting there um, had popcorn, and it was just a, a quick splash to show that there's 38 ways, at least in our slide, 38 ways of expressing the word popcorn in Spanish. And so when we're going out, we, go, we have this very you know, rigorous quality assurance process. We send it out, but the client may come back and say, well, it's wrong. And so, you know, we immediately will go into, you know, defensive mode and say, well, what specifically? Can you be specific? And they might say, well, you know, that same word um, we think is wrong and there's a better way of expressing it. And, and so it actually is not wrong. There's just another way of expressing it. And it gets down to what you mentioned earlier is that corporate voice and how, you know, a law firm will, will express their, their corporate voice would be different from a technology firm, which would be different from a marketing advertising firm. Mm-hmm. They all might be talking about the same subject matter, but they'll express it differently, whether that be formal, informal, and the choice of words they're going to use to express that. Right. And for example, you know, a restaurant chain might sell hamburgers, whereas McDonald's sells the Big Mac and Burger King sells the Whopper. That's right. Right? So it's this, we're all talking about the same thing, but often there's even a brand name or some kind of internal jargon that uh, that they're covering. Now, how does the uh, voiceover itself, I guess, contribute to the finished product? Um, this is often post-translation, um, the work that needs to be done, but I would imagine that in a similar way that you're needing to find the right words to help kind of convey the uh, corporate voice, if you will, that uh, we often tell the talent that they're the the voice ambassadors, Mm -hmm. right? And so uh, do you find that to be important to your clients as well, too, that that there are, you know, if, if it is an audio or video production, that the style of voice matters to them? No, absolutely. I think the, the, the voiceover helps connect an audience. Mm. And so you can really alienate an audience quickly, not having the right voice and, right. And, not, and not having the right style in place as well. So it's a matter of not an alienating or, or and you want to embrace your, your audience. And there's lots of industry leaders out there, brand uh, leaders out there that, uh, you know, we could probably name them really quick mm-hmm. in terms of doing a great job in terms of, of internationalizing their, their voice and their brand worldwide. Yeah. Now, um, you know, ho- hopefully we've sparked some interest amongst uh, those uh, organizations, uh, maybe people who are in um, creative services departments, marketing departments, um, corporate communications that might be considering uh, and looking at their own material and now considering, hey, maybe I need some translation work done. What are the things that they should consider 
um, almost in a pre-production mode, you know, mm -hmm. before they even kick things off. Uh, do you have a tip sheet or something <laughs> along those lines that you're like, hey, here's the kind of stuff you got to think about even before sending us uh, sending us the, uh, the script or the, the copy? No, 100%. So first thing I always mention to clients is, is, you know, what are the consequences if, you know, if their translations were done poorly? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a good, you know, step back because they maybe, maybe they're considering, oh, you know, I, I can go online and go and use a free service like Google Translate. Right. But what, what, are the, what are the consequences if it's done wrong? I mentioned there was a good example mm. of a client uh, a few years ago that came to us that had then, uh, they were shipping abroad uh, seafood to Germany. Mm -hmm. And it was a very expensive endeavor because they found it afterwards that the transition was done very poorly, that was done on packaging, and inside it was seafood. And they had to scrap everything. So it was not only was the translation a waste of money, the packaging cost them money, and also the the, the food, the, the seafood that was right. in there was very costly. And not to mention costly. the shipping there. The shipping and, and, and the absolutely. And the damage to the brand as well. So, uh, so understanding the consequences. So once they can get their head around that in terms of understanding, okay, we need to have a real top-notch uh, quality assurance process here. The next question is, you know, who is their target audience? Often we have clients come to us and they'll say, well, we need it in Spanish and we need it in French. And our immediate response is, okay, Spanish, who is, are you going after Spain? Are you going after Latin America? Is this Mexico? Can you give us more details? Is, right. this, the, is this the U.S. marketplace? So though it's all worthwhile because we can then localize it to that specific audience. Uh, French, for example, uh, we have French-Canadian, but we have French for Europe. Mm -hmm. And so they are, they are quite distinctly different. And it's very important not to, again, do you want to offend your audience? What's the consequence? Where are you trying to drill down and, and, and capture new market share? The, uh, I guess the other thing I would mention to clients is if they have a lot of corporate jargon. We mentioned that earlier. That could be a technology manufacturing company. They have all sorts of widgets, and it's very, very unique. And it could be industry jargon, but also could be their own corporate jargon as well. And so for a good quality process, the best step always is to create a glossary guide or like a lexicon list or like a terminology list and, and pre-populate those. That usually happens internally from the client. Right. They'll have their technical writers, for example, go through it and create, you know, it could be a few hundred terms up to thousands of terms, tens of thousands of terms. And they'll go through there, create the English term. That term could be a word or a phrase and then beside it, a definition, what that is. And with that, we then hand it over to the transition teams to do their research. Because even though it's aviation, and they had, the team has expertise in aviation, but how um, Air Canada may express their terms would be different from Air France. Right. And so it's important to, to capture those little nuances, those differences there. And so that's where the glossary comes intact. The team will do the research. They'll, they'll populate that. It's usually, you can imagine an Excel sheet, for yeah. example, left, uh, left column, right column. Mm -hmm. And then we send it back to the client. And they usually have an internal resource review process. And then they'll come back with any tweaks to the glossary guide. And then once it's, once it's approved, then we can actually, from the technology standpoint, we can actually save it to the transition memory file. Right. So actually re can remove any human errors. So when we upload those documents to the, to the, to the TM, I call it the transition memory technology, it'll filter through there and pick up all those words. It'll match it to what's already sitting in the glossary. So then the team will double check, to, okay, there it is, there's, it's pre-populated, and I call it the trump card. Yeah. Right. There's not nothing's going to beat the trump card, and that's the that's the glossary. Yeah. And so again, it removes that human process. The team can then 
uh, work around that. So from a QA standpoint, it's really, really valuable to, to, uh, valuable to a company. And I would imagine that those are the terms that a client would immediately know if it was a good translation or you know, substandard, right? Because it's their words. This That's is right. their language. Um, so getting those kind of directly from the client makes uh, makes a lot of sense. That's right. So there's a bit of bit of prep work, but obviously it pays off in the long run because you're not um, you know committing these fouls by uh, um, you know having packaging that's uh, that's not correct. You know, there's one thing to be said about you know subtitles on on a YouTube video not being correct, although that can certainly be embarrassing. Um, however, the additional, I mean, those are quick fixes. If you identify them, it's a relatively quick fix. It's still in digital form. But what we're talking about mm-hmm. was these massive, you know, anytime you're printing something or shipping something or it's product-oriented, um, the stakes are, the, are that much higher. Um, now, over the last, uh, certainly over the last couple of years um, in the industry, you've, uh, you've likely seen some trends. I mean, we talked about, um, you know, the digitization, for lack of a better term, of a lot of content, um, which has created more of a demand um, for uh, for translation services, and, and probably you've seen that reflected at Keylingo. Um, what are some of the other trends that you've seen in the industry? Uh, well, certainly, like you mentioned, the, the digital file formats, mm-hmm. and no longer is it just uh, content arriving in Word documents or Excel documents. And, and, and clients are often quite pleased when Keylingo comes to the table and we say, well, no, we don't, don't need to extract that from your XML, your XML or your, your uh, other, your JSON uh, files yeah. or your ResX, your really highly complex file formats. So we just send us the source documents. Right. We have the technology to actually go and extract that content, work with those files and send those same file formats back, but localized in the target language. So that has become a real big trend lately because there are so many more complex file formats that's coming out there. Um, and so that's often, you know, creates a smile on the customer's face because they've had a process they've been working with for the last 10 or 20 years, yes. perhaps, where they didn't realize. they just been, you know, they don't know what they don't know. They didn't mm-hmm. realize, oh, you can actually work in the source file now. Exactly. And so, you know, and so we can and very reputable companies can do that as well. So that's, that's just a um, top flight approach to delivering those files in a very, uh, very polished uh, and cost-effective way for the client. Yeah, so com- computer technology certainly being a driver of a lot, you know, of a lot of those trends um, that you're seeing. Um, where do you, where do you think the industry is going as a whole? Um, looking forward, is it is it more automation, more you know, machine assisted uh, translation? Um, or is there something else out there that's uh, that's on the horizon? Maybe you've been to a trade show and saw something really cool. <laughs> there's lots of cool things, and so there's there's lots of trends. Uh, you know, just to start with that point, the the translation is not going anywhere. It's, certainly, it's growing, and it's projected to grow, continue to grow at 15% per year. It's a very healthy industry, because now now not only is it good for a company to have their uh, information on Facebook. But now they need to have it in French, mm-hmm. and they need to have it in Spanish. And so there's all, tons of localization happening in the social media world. There's tons of localization happening on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So all those social media platforms are now becoming localized. Before it was just, we have a website, let's get it translated. We have some brochures that get it translated. And now it's becoming a multi-leveled approach um, because, there, again, uh, everyone's competing for market share, and the yeah. easiest way of gaining market share is just, just speaking to them in their own mother tongue. Yeah, you mentioned machine translation. So, 
um, yes, the most sophisticated companies out there were using computer-assisted translation, but the best quality is always a human process. Mm -hmm. So there's been lots of talk about you know MT or machine translation, and it's a big, big topic. Um, however, it is uh, it's still considered um, a minuscule percentage of what's actually being produced out there. And the, the best process when companies actually utilize machine translation is still with a human post-edit. Right. Because even if the machine spits it out, um, it's a bit, can be a bit, you know, goobly gunk, basically, yeah. uh, garble up there. So the, the human post-edit will make sure that uh, there's nothing embarrassing in there right. um, as well and just to clean it up. Um, so it's still very effective. And this is it's useful for clients with, you know, very large technical manuals that... You know, in some cases, it, it sits in a glove compartment. Um, it sits somewhere that it's not going to be used, and it'll be used once or twice a year for a user reference. Right. And they realize they need to do it, but how, what's, the, what's the quality approach? And that's a discussion I always have with our clients in terms of what's the level of quality they're, they're looking for. Yeah, speaking of machine translation, and there's almost the same um, phenomenon, I think, happening, uh, maybe to a lesser degree, in the voiceover uh, space, uh, which is all around text-to-speech. I mean... Uh, with a voice talent, you know, they are bringing that human element directly into the finished product. Um, and I often get asked, oh, well, what about text-to-speech? You know, you, you put in your Word document and, you know, uh, to use your term, kind of spits out this audio file um, that definitely sounds, uh, audibly sounds like a machine or computer generated um, this and I think there's there's a time and a place for for that, um, which could be either in a merely a proof of concept or prototyping or really kind of micro bits of information where it might be ten seconds or thirty seconds, but really anything longer than thirty seconds, like you know most people, it's just so disagreeable. I want to hear from a from a human, and I would imagine it's the same principles that underlie um, why you would want to have a a person reviewing the the copy or the text, right, right? and just putting that uh, that kind of human touch onto it. That's great. Um, really enjoyed you being on the on the podcast today, um, Richard. What can people contact you, or what's the best way um, for for folks to get in touch with your organization, or they have questions about translation, um, maybe a project upcoming? Uh, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, absolutely. So it's real. It's really easy. So our website's www.keylingo.com. Mm -hmm. We're actually relaunching it in September, so Great. it's being rebranded to commemorate our 10th year anniversary. So we're real proud about that. And uh, otherwise, they can reach me uh, by phone, which is 416-550-0072. Of course, by email, which is my name. So it's richard.carroll at keylingo.com. Awesome. Uh, well, excellent. And we'll put uh, phone number and contact uh, details in the show notes as well, too, for those that are listening um, on iTunes or directly on the podcast here. Well, excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us on the podcast today, and uh, hopefully we can get you back again on a future episode. I would love to. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate it. VoxBox, sharing your audio feedback. Do you slate before auditions these days? More and more, what we're finding is that it's more effective for voice talent auditioning online not to slate at all. Now, accordingly, we stop recommending that talent slate before custom reads when auditioning through the website. That said, if you do slate, and of course the choice is yours, how do you go about doing it? If this is something that keeps you up at night, you'll want to listen to a podcast that Pat Fraley did for voiceover experts. 
go to the Vox Talk Facebook page for the link. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. Thank you again for joining us. Remember to continue the conversation on Facebook. We'll see you next week.